five years ago, I realized I was like, man, half my clients are, they're not hoarders. They're just, they got a lot of stuff. There was a lot of uh, seniors that had um, kind of grown up, you know, the last kids of the depression. And, and that's challenging because they're holding on to, well, they're all holding on to stuff because of memories, right? I mean, that, that's the same, but some really it's the acquiring, they acquire more stuff because they're trying to cover up the addiction or they're trying to cover up the, the loss. Um, but it's the grief based of it. And a lot of our seniors are just, they just kept a lot of stuff because of, to, to live, to sustain. And they, they would think they would need it. Hi, this is Danae. I'm the founder of Simple Families. Simple Families is an online community for parents who are seeking a simpler, more intentional life. In this show, we focus on minimalism with kids, positive parenting, family wellness, and decreasing the mental load. My perspectives are based in my firsthand experience raising kids, but also rooted in my PhD in child development. So you're going to hear conversations that are based in research, but more importantly, real life. Thanks for joining us. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode number 300 of the Simple Families podcast. It is nothing short of a miracle that I have made it this far and stayed consistent. I am thrilled to welcome my friend Matt Paxton to the podcast. Some of you may know Matt as the hoarders guy, which is how I knew him up until about two years ago when he met and fell in love with my good friend Zoe Kim from Raising Simple. Matt is one of the top hoarding experts in the country. He very organically started cleaning out houses after his father and his stepfather and his grandfathers all died in the same year. Before I met Matt, or rather before Zoe met Matt, I had never seen hoarders. And some of you know Zoe. She wrote a book called The Minimalist Family. So my initial reaction was, Zoe, you're a minimalist, like a real minimalist. And I add that disclaimer because she's really the type of person that pretty much only has one cup per person in her house. So I said, Zoe, you're a minimalist. How are you going to make it work with a hoarder? She's like, well, Danae, he's not really a hoarder. He helps hoarders. And then it all started to come together for me. And I got to know Matt and a little bit more about him. After his years on hoarders, he has started a new show, an Emmy-nominated show called Legacy List. And today we are here to talk about his brand new book, which is called Keep the Memories, Lose the Stuff, Declutter, Downsize, and Move Forward with Your Life. Matt has worked with hundreds, maybe thousands of families all across the country. I think that this book is really written for anyone looking to downsize and declutter, but it was written in collaboration with the AARP, the American Association of Retired Persons. So if you have a retired person or someone getting to be near that age in your life, this may be a good resource to help you start to tackle that clutter. Maybe it's your mother or your father or your grandparent or an aunt or an uncle. Maybe someone in your life that you've wanted to introduce to this idea. How do we keep the memories and lose the stuff? I'd like to thank Matt for this conversation today. I had a lot of fun talking to him. As always, thanks for tuning in. Hi, Matt. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I am happy to have you. So I want to start with kind of a funny story. So last week I was at 
a, and it was a mom, kind of like a mom's night out event for my son's school. And one of the moms kind of casually mentioned that her dad was a hoarder. And I don't tell anybody what I do because the minute you tell people that, that you're into minimalism or child behavior or any of that, mm-hmm. people run, right? Do you find that? Oh yeah. People don't want to invite me to their house. No. Yeah. Or in their car. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. <laughs> So I hadn't said anything about anything and she just kind of brought it up and was talking about how her dad was a hoarder and how they didn't know what to do. And then she read this book about hoarding a few years ago. And at the end of the book, the author left his name and email address and she just emailed him and he called her or he emailed and called her and then sent out a whole crew and changed her life. And I was like, I think I know that guy. And it was you. Yeah. Yeah. And it made me think, I wonder how many families and how many lives you've touched over the years. Yeah. Thousands, hundreds. How long have you been doing this? I've been cleaning houses for 20 years. So I started uh, when I was 24. I was was, was actually an economist, believe it or not. I was an economist for Caesars Palace Casinos and for uh, Federal Reserve banking system. And I hated it. And then one summer, my dad, uh, well, it was in a year, my dad, my stepdad, both my grandfathers died. And so I had to clean their houses. And that's how I started cleaning houses. And I just, I kind of liked it. And I was like, well, this is cool. This is interesting. It's different. And, and I just kind of, it was kind of a side hustle, but that was in like, you know, Oh one, you know? And so there wasn't really a side hustle yet. I was, I was waiting for the next big idea and, and, and I didn't know it was in front of me. And so I did, I just cleaned hoarded houses like, just for not for fun, but just to like eat, you know, and I was, was it a business or it was a business word of mouth? Yeah. I was, I was volunteering at a grief camp for children every weekend. It was a camp called comfort zone camp. And it was a camp. uh, I would, you know, it was, it was therapy, but it was really a trick. Like the kids thought they were playing. Right. And they didn't know they were having these awesome grief circles, like three times a day. And so my job was, I got the worst kids, the kids that had the, the most, the, they're great kids, but they had really horrific situations, you know, and uh, like drive-by shootings and just horrible things. And I would fly around the country and help these kids every weekend. And so I was really just living for that. That was volunteer based. And I was cleaning houses on the weekend and I realized I was like, oh man, these people are grieving the same way. Like it's all about grief. And so it took me five years to realize that hoarding was all based around grief. Everyone else in the industry was just cleaning up a bunch of junk and they were focusing on the stuff. And I was like, it's something else. You know, it's like they've all got the same losses and there's about five of them, you know, and I was like, it's all the same. And so, you know, I had done it just as a job, a small business really. And me and three guys and they're all (laughs) ex-cons and we were cleaning houses. And then I got Mostly estates? People had passed away? Yeah, either people passed away or cities started bringing me in. They were like, well, we'll just pay you to clean out the hoarded house because yours seemed to to stay cleaner. Like, I don't know what you're doing, but they realized it was cheaper to pay me to clean it than it was to, and this is very small, one city in Virginia, but they realized it was cheaper for me to clean it and help the client and, and work with social workers to keep them in the house versus evicting them and then having to rehouse them. You know? Oh, and wow. So, so you were actually keeping people in their homes through decluttering. Yeah. At the time, I didn't realize what my method was. And I was learning my methods. And and um, I mean, I was a kid, you know, and we didn't and we didn't even know what hoarding was back then. Everybody just had an aunt that had too, a great aunt, you know, that had too much stuff. It was a pack rat. And we yeah. all like would make fun of it. But like it was this was before it was in the DM5. It was a long time ago. And so I accidentally got on this little show called Hoarders and I didn't know it was going to 
like, I mean, I was just happy. I, I, they were going to fly me somewhere. They were going to pay me $300. I'll never forget. And they were going to pay my flight. And I was like, wait, I, did the show precede you? I thought you were the show. Yeah. No, sh- I didn't start the show, um, but I quickly got on it like okay. very quickly. They they didn't have any house. They had no houses to clean. And I didn't know anything about TV. In fact, when they interviewed me, they were like, you're not going to be on the show. Like 100%, you're not going to be on the show. We just need houses. Um, and I was like, okay. And they came to meet me and I, and I introduced them to seven different hoarders. And, and I now, being a, you know, a TV producer, <laughs> I now know what was going on, but I didn't know at the time. And uh, they, they were like, within an hour, they were like, dude, we want you on the show. Can, like, can you be in Alabama on Friday? And I was like, sure. And so like on Monday, I was cleaning houses for 12 bucks an hour. And by Friday, I was filming a TV show. And, and I, no one really knew, you know, this was the beginning of reality TV. This is 16 years ago. I mean, people don't realize how long that show's been on. Well, now 13, wow. 13 years, but 16 seasons. And um, as soon as the show hit, phone started ringing nonstop. And I've been helping hoarders ever since. But about, I don't know, five years ago, I realized I was like, man, half my clients are, they're not hoarders. They're just, they got a lot of stuff. Yeah. So what's the yeah. difference? Um, well, uh, I think, you know, at the time, 10 years ago, there was a lot of, la- of overlap. There was a lot of uh, seniors that had, um, kind of grown up, you know, the last kids of the depression and, and that's challenging because they're holding on to, well, they're all holding on to stuff because of memories, right? I mean, that, that's the same, but some really it's the acquiring, they acquire more stuff because they're trying to cover up the addiction or they're trying to cover up the, the loss. Um, but it's the grief based of it. And a lot of our seniors are just, they just kept a lot of stuff because of to, to live, to sustain. And they, they would think they would need it. And I really enjoy, I, I love my time on hoarders, but it's a very emotional, like heavily emotional journey. And you're carrying this whole family's, you know, hundred years of grief in a week. And then we help them unpack it while we're actually doing a pretty aggressive clean out too. And all the emotions come out really quick. And then, you know, you pack it up and you go on to the next one two days later and you got to like somehow, <laughs> you know, get a break from it. And after, you know, 13 years straight of that, it was like, Hey man, I don't think I'm going to have a healthy life if I keep carrying everybody's emotions. And so I started kind of pulling away, but the story you just told about that guy, you know, family calling, that's the best thing about my job. I mean, people, I still get messages. I mean, I got, I got a message this morning. A lady said, Hey, I have brain loss and your new show on PBS is making me remember things. Wow. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that's really cool. And then I just went to the next message and it's like, you know, when you only get one of those messages a year, that's really special. And now you just kind of get used to it because, you know, the, the beauty of TV is you get a lot of people find inspiration in it. Yeah. Um, the bad part of it is it's TV and you're putting a bunch of people's um, mental, you know, mental challenges on TV for entertainment. And there's a real challenge there. Um, maybe it's an ethical issue from the start. I'll say that as the guy on the show about hoarding, it's a, it's absolutely an, eth- um, an ethical issue to put someone's loss or grief on tv for entertainment that being said we provide up to a year of therapy on the back end and we pay it for it and so we know we don't give them cash they have to go take the therapy that's the only way they get them they get anything out of it and you bring a psychologist with you right when you do on set yeah Yeah. on set the whole time yeah because i mean hoarding is not a it's it's a mental disorder it's not a it's not a clutter issue i mean ironically it sure manifests as clutter but at the end of the day it's a hundred percent uh, mental. And so if you don't, you know, if you've got an alcoholic and all you do is throw his beer away, you haven't done anything. You've just upset him. 
Yeah. And same thing with, with hoarding cleanup. If you just throw the, I mean, honestly, you want to, the only way to guarantee they continue to hoard is just go throw everything away and have no mental therapy. If you don't have any therapy on the back end, then there's no way it, it gets better. Now therapy has come along with, there's a lot of different things. It's not always like cognitive behavioral therapy. A lot of times it's, um, you know, the most effective is this, um, EMDR is by far oh, for the, I didn't for know the extreme they use that for hoarders. Interesting. Yeah, for the extreme huh. hoarding, that is the most effective. But for mild hoarding, it's not effective. Interesting. Very interesting. Hmm. So, at what point did you become a dad in this journey? Oh, this is the best part of the story. <laughs> I uh, I found out I was going to be a dad. So that Monday, I was cleaning houses for twelve bucks an hour. That Wednesday, I found out I was going to be a dad. Wow. And that Friday, I was filming my first TV show. So right at the same time. But the kids were babies. I had, in my first marriage, I had three kids, three boys. And that, um, so I kind of like grew up being away from my boys, honestly. The first five years of their life, I was out filming TV shows, which was a large part of why I wanted to come back home because I was just missing that part of it. And um, so, yeah, so I had kids the whole time. And... um you know my you know you know my current partner. Yeah, it's a funny story actually. So Zoe Kim from Raising Simple is a good friend of mine for a long time now, and um, she had well she and I used to talk a lot, and all of a sudden I didn't, I didn't hear much from her, and I just I messaged her one day. I was like, "What's going on? Where have you been?" And she's like, "Well, I have a boyfriend," and I was like, "What?" <laughs> and she's like, "It's it's." the hoarders guy. And I'm like, but Zoe, you're a minimalist. Like Zoe is the ultimate minimalist. Like yeah. some of us call ourselves minimalists, but Zoe is like the real deal. Right. So I'm like, how? And she's like, well, today, like, well, no, clearly I've never seen the show. <laughs> I was like, yeah, he's not, he never. is not a hoarder, but so you I, tell me what is, and she has four kids. So now there's seven yeah. kids in one house. Yeah. Combined family seven in a minimalist designed home that she designed, which is gorgeous, and, which is amazing. And so and functional and intentional. And every inch of this house is intentional. And I should say to your listeners, I was new to minimalism. Um, and I'll say this not in a disrespectful way. I just thought she was pretty and she was a really good mom. So I thought that was really cool. <laughs> you know, so I was like, I'm in. And I had read her book. I mean, ironically, someone had recommended her book to me. And, um, I didn't really know anything of it. I just thought it was, you know, two guys that wore black shirts. That was my you know, understanding <laughs> of minimalism. The beginning. Which, yeah, which is, you know, and so I didn't really get it. But obviously, I've been cleaning houses for 20 years. And so I saw the negativity that a lot of excess stuff can do to families. We're going to pause for a quick 60-second word from today's sponsor. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. It's the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your requirements or else you don't have to pay. So instead of spending hours on multiple job sites trying to find the right candidates, Indeed is one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. You can find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, Assessments, and Virtual Interviews. I'm a big fan of one-stop shopping, so I'm thrilled that Indeed keeps it simple. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com families. That's valid through March 31st. Go to indeed.com families to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. Indeed.com families. Terms and conditions do apply. 
If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Thanks for your support. Back to my chat with Matt. We met online. I mean, someone recommended her book to me and I read it and it suggested me, you know, having less stuff in my son's closet. And uh, one of my sons has a processing disorder and he was really freaking out over clothes. Getting ready was a huge challenge for him. And I was a single dad. I had my kids full time. And so I, I, I very quickly left TV and was just like, I mean, I went from being gone all the time to traveling to all of a sudden I was a single dad and I had my kids full time. And so I had to kind of like leave my career for a while and just learn how to be a dad. And so I was like, like really just getting anything I could information wise on how to be a better dad, to be really blunt. And, um, and he was struggling with these clothes and someone recommended her book. I read it and just said, get rid of all the options. Like he's just got too many choices. And, and it worked. He came, he woke me up the next morning, like showing me his like, look down dress. <laughs> and I was like, this is amazing. And so went online found Raising Simple. It wasn't even Raising Simple. It was called something else back then. Um, but I ended up finding her and and we talked professionally for months. And, and of course, she had never seen my show and she didn't even have TV when we started dating. And uh, which You talked professionally, but I think we always knew where your intentions were, right? I obviously <laughs> thought kidding. she was amazing. I, I mean, I she still is. do. She is. You know, and if you, I mean, like I have, I, I'm so lucky that I had kind of like, you know, and we're not married yet. We're engaged still. I should clarify that i did put in my book that we're married and um and we're not i just when i wrote the book i thought we would be by then (laughs) (laughs) and we have seven kids it's really hard to get anything done and um and thank god we don't have any stuff i mean like that's what i tell people like thank god i'm married a minimalist because i don't think we would have survived if we were dealing with you know seven kids stuff and we have six boys under the age of 13 wow yeah, and so we're really lucky that like that they don't junk the house up as much as you know right. as they. I mean, I have I had more stuff with my three kids before I moved than I do now with seven. Wow, how was yeah. that? The the did she have like a did she stand in the door and say like no you cannot bring this in Matt? Yes you no can. Zoe's really <laughs> so you know Zoe I mean and and I, and I listened to your podcast before I came on here that your partnership podcast was really good. I mean when you marry into into minimalism like it's a commitment man like you got to both be on board with it it doesn't mean you both do it the same way but like um i of all people i mean i see the the mass benefit of of, um, i really just say simplicity i mean and she's really kind of taken you know moving in with them i knew i had to get rid of almost all my stuff yeah and it's kind of easy when you're coming out of a you know a first marriage home you don't want any of that stuff right (laughs) you're ready ready for a fresh start yeah. And so it was, I, I did, I, I was actually writing my book, my book, keep the memories, lose the stuff when I'm, when I met Zoe. And so I had written the outline and I had written first half of the book and then I'd fall in love with this girl. And it was like, crap, I got to move. Like, like I keep, she's not coming here. So I got to go be with her. And she basically just said to me, I was like, I called her. I was like, I don't know if I can leave like my home and my stuff. And she's just like, well, I'm here. If you want to be with me, yeah, you gotta you gotta come here, and the house is that is this big, and so it really became like a spreadsheet decision, like how much stuff can I bring, and and as and as cheesy as it is, I mean, at the end of the day, I was like, I'd rather be with her with no stuff than by myself in this big house with a bunch of junk that I don't need, and it was a total total leap of faith, and it paid off. How funny is it though? I feel like most people would assume after working for years and years with people with too much stuff that you would have a, a perfect grip on all yours. Oh no, I think we we struggle the most with it. I mean, 
I do it all day. I don't want to do my yeah. job when I get home. Oh, isn't that the truth? <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm sure people ask you for advice yeah. all the time. And it's like, no, dude, I've been doing this all day. Like, leave me alone. I just want to. <laughs> yeah. So you finished the book during the pandemic? I did. We finished it. So I wrote half of it in my first home. Okay. And then I wrote the second half when I moved. And so what happened was I was using all my own advice to actually downsize. And and I had forgotten half of it was theoretical. You know, half of it was just stuff I preached to people. And it's totally different when it's your emotions, right? When it's yeah. your grandpa's stuff and your mom's stuff and your, you know, the, the things that actually affect you. It was a lot harder when I sat down to do it because of that FOMO, the fear of missing out on so much. And, and it, and it made the book, it was funny. I got like, after the first day, I was like, Oh crap, I'm gonna have to rewrite this entire book. And I called my publisher. I was like, guys, this is, <laughs> this isn't good. And by the way, my, the partnership is with AARP and Penguin Random House. So these are not small phone calls to make, you know, and calling the, you know, the head of content for AARP to say, yeah, I, I was wrong. <laughs> this whole book we. <laughs> Wait, I pitched you. It's start it's over. Right. I gotta, I gotta rewrite this thing. But they supported me. They were like, "Well, this sounds great. Like, we love that you're that you're throwing love into this. Like, how does that factor?" And I was like, "It factors a lot, actually, because from my, I wrote the book for aging Americans that have too much stuff. They're not going to convert to minimalism. Yeah, but they've got to be able to to manage all the emotions that are coming out of sometimes eighty years of stuff. So, did you rewrite the yeah. whole first half of the book? Pretty much. I mean, I reordered it, I structured it into a different, I took it back to more linear. And then I just went through the process of what to do. And then I just got much more raw and open about real emotions. And so that's when I put all my own personal stories in there. And I'm glad I did. I mean, at the beginning, it, 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 and, and, and so, I mean, I'm, I'm very lucky to have a, a partner that is also, you know, does the same thing professionally. We do it different ways. Um, but at the end of the day, she she also believes in helping people, yeah. <laughs> you know, which is really awesome. So so I was able to kind of like, you know, just the first three months of being here, I got to finish the book then. And so I got to the payoff really is the like, hey, when you get rid of this stuff, it's going to be worth it. And that's what I had to convince to a lot of my a lot of my clients. And so in the book, and so I was able to rewrite it like, oh, yeah, hey, no, I don't miss any of this stuff. And I thought I would when I wrote it. So it was funny. I, w I was like. Every day I would write all, I realized I was so emotional. And so I would write all my emotions or I would record them on my phone is what I finally started doing. And then I would record them and then I would come back to when I was writing that chapter and I would listen to what my fears were. And then I would write to what my fears were and then how I feel about it now. Hmm. And so I was, I kept going back to the before and the after. And so ironically, the move was perfect to do in the middle of a book about moving hmm. because yeah. I got to do both sides of it. And you got to feel it firsthand in the yeah. moment. Ugh. And his emotions are real, man. Whatever yeah. your emotions are, they're real. So when did, when and how does Legacy List come into all this, your current show? So, yeah, so I was on, I was on Hoarders for 13 years straight. And um, that's a, it's a show. It's not based on negativity, but all reality, TV, almost all reality TV is fake. I hate to, if no one doesn't know that yet, I'm sorry. I, I ruined it for you. <laughs> you um, mean the Kardashians aren't, that's not yeah, real? no. No. None of that's none of that. Their money's real, but that's about <laughs> it. And the rest of it, I think Hoarders is the only show that's that's not fake. Like it because there's so much in you know natural drama, and what makes TV interesting is the drama. And on Hoarders, you just have to keep the camera rolling. That's it. 
And because of mental health issues, we've actually kept of the clients. Um, we've had the same camera guys, the same producers, the same talent on that show from day one. I mean, we've been on the road together for 13 years. And so our camera guys know how to communicate properly to people that are having challenges and things like that. But around the Trump administration, I remember I was cleaning a house and we had like 40, I'll never forget, and this is a brilliant interesting story. We were cleaning a, a 10,000, no, 11,000 square foot mansion in North Carolina. And I had to hire like 40 guys. And I always, I love the guys I love are second chance guys, guys that have you know been in prison and have lost everything. And they're coming back to prove that they're good. Right? There's the employees I want. So I went to like a prison release group and I got 40 guys that had just gotten out of prison in the last year. And they were really great workers and we're cleaning. And then Trump won that night. And I'll never forget, all these guys were yelling at each other. They were split. And they were like, well, he should have won, he shouldn't, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, guys, no offense. I was like, none of those, either side you're yelling on, none of them care about you. They're not here for you. You're the last person they're thinking about. Your life is pretty screwed either way. And they were just like, what? And, and, I, and I was just, I, I was watching so much negativity happening. I was just like, this is a very, like, I mean, Obama was still president. And I was just like, man, you're, you guys don't understand the negativity is getting ready to hit you. And I was just made that commitment that day. I was like, I got to get back into hundred percent positivity. I was like, if I don't start leading with positivity now, like this is going to be bad. And I don't think any of us, and I don't care which side you are politically, it got crazy for either side for a long time. And so I was just like, I got to believe in positivity. It's only we're going to get through this. And so I was like, I got to make a positive show. I got to get off of hoarders. And so then I made the decision to make a positive show about aging Americans. Mm. Um, not an easy show to sell. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I mean, I guess any positive reality show that is not intended to be full of drama is just less appealing. Yeah, no TV. I mean, I took everybody. Nobody wanted it. And um, yeah. I'll never forget A&E, who I won an Emmy for. Um, they said to me, they asked if there were any attractive granddaughters that would fight overall no they didn't <laughs> they did and sorry I was like, i'm laughing out of awkwardness right now <laughs> no i was like what did you say I'm sure there i said i'm sure there is but that's not the show i want to make and they're like all right cool good luck and i was like yeah and and, and in tv by the way you get 100 no's before you get a yes always yeah and so you have to be ready to get just told no constantly and so i laugh you know i laugh at them when they say something like oh yeah okay great and you have to believe in yourself deeper than anyone because no one will believe in you because everybody wants what's already been done in TV. Nobody wants what's new. Hmm. And I was trying to do something new, both positivity and aging. And so I just, I was like, well, I know this is good and I'm just going to keep going with it. And my buddy said, think about public television. And I was like, is there any money in public television? And they're like, absolutely not. <laughs> There's no money in public television, but you'll get to make the show you what want. What is public television? Like PBS? PBS, yeah. Okay, There's a couple PBS. different okay. distributors. Yeah, PBS. Okay. Um, internationally, it's called different things. But yeah, but it's, it's basically public, you know, it's PBS. And um, they're like, if you want to make the show you want to make, that's where you can make it. And so I happened to meet a buddy of mine that also worked. And then we just started kind of like putting it together. And they were like, yeah, sure, go for it. And so I created the show called Legacy List. And what Legacy List is, is it's a, it's a list of the top five or six items in your home that mean the most to you and your family's story. And they're almost rarely financially valuable. They're most almost always emotionally valuable. And so we got people, when I was cleaning houses, people always said to me like, hey, I need you to help me find this item. And it's somewhere in the house. And I'd be like, well, if it's so important, why can't you find it? 
right? And that's basically every time I was on Hoarders, same thing. Like, oh, if it's so good, why why do we not know where it is? Well, the the PBS show just kind of like very naturally, quietly grew, and we made the first season, and we actually got nominated for an Emmy on the first season wow. because it was so positive and so diverse and and just different. And it was the all the reasons nobody wanted it. Yeah. <laughs> is actually why we got nominated for it. Now we didn't win. Um, and it turns out the whole being nominated uh, is an honor, actually. And um, I didn't know that. Uh, I thought that was just kind of BS. But it's Win real. or bust. <laughs> it was awesome, man. Like, I got That's to write awesome. an, Emmy, an Emmy speech, you know, like an acceptance yeah. speech. Like, when in life do you get to do that? For sure. And, of course, it was during the pandemic. So, like, Zoe was like with the kids upstairs and I'm in my desk, Silencing I'm in my office, <laughs> you know, yeah, trying to get to be quiet. Right. You know? And I'm like, in a, I'm in like a tux top, you know, in jeans. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm finally made it on the Emmys. And, I, and like, my mom got to watch it, but we didn't. Oh, I love that. I think you should have let the, the kids cheer. You had your own audience there. Yeah. You know, kids don't care that you're on TV. Uh, yeah, like, that's They don't care true. about any of this stuff. And, <laughs> and, and they shouldn't, you know, like, I don't hope the kids should be focused on like what they're doing that afternoon. Yeah. You know? Like, but yeah, no, so it's been a great journey, but I've, I've found that people really like the emotional stories behind their stuff. And that's why people hold on to it. And so I thought, hey, man, if we just give them a place to tell these stories, specifically our older Americans, there's some incredible stories that are there. And the story I always tell is that the first lady we filmed, we found, we didn't know it was in her house, and we were in her trunk, in her dad's military trunk, and we found a 44-star flag. Hmm. And I was like, 44 stars? And just like your listeners are thinking, okay, well, what are the other six? You know, Hawaii and Alaska, yes, but yeah. oh man, I'm stuck now. What are the next four? You know, and and I was like, how did you get this? She goes, I don't know. Can you help me figure it out? And I was like, yeah, all right. And so we get our history team. Back then, it was a small crew, and we we research. It turns out her great grandpa was a um, train conductor, hmm. and he drove the train to Utah the day Utah became a state. Oh wow. And they made four of the flags for 44 star flags. And they, he, one was on the side of his train and he just took it and put it in his trunk. Wow. And it had been in her house for a hundred years. Oh my goodness. And probably one yeah, of you. Was, oh yeah. There's only four. Like, oh, they only, only four made four? Made. They only made four. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. For that day, you know? And so we ended up calling the Smithsonian and they were like, yeah, we would love it. <laughs> you know? And she's like, well, how much are they going to pay me? And I was like, nothing. <laughs> Nothing. This they're not gonna pay you. <laughs> but she was really, it was really cool when it just let me know. I was like, okay, this is, this is where I want to go. This is where yeah. my career pivot is. I'm excited about the stories and the people. And that's why we hold on to the stuff. So I was like, let's just, let's just tell the stories, give them a place to tell. And, uh, and I think the gamble was right in, in the book spun off from that, which was really just, okay, how do I help people tell the story so they can get rid of their stuff at home? Yeah. So what's something on your legacy list? Oh man. I knew I should have brought, I have a ring. Uh, it's right over there. I have, um, you know, my favorite thing is my, my grandma, my mom, actually, uh, my mom made a book for my dad when he was dying. Now they had been divorced for 20 years, but they were still friends. And my mom had gone the year before to all of his relatives. So like, I mean, think about this is, this is what's so amazing. My mom and my dad had been broken up for 20 years and my mom went on a road trip to meet all of my dad's relatives and write down all of the amazing recipes that he grew up on. Wow. All the women that read it. And so my grandmas, my great grandmas, people that I knew when I was a really young kid, all the recipes in there. And then she added her side, 
which was my my other grandma's stuff, and then all the ladies of the church that we grew up in, and added all their recipes. And so all their recipes are handwritten in either my mom's or my grandma's handwriting. Oh wow! And you know, you remember the handwriting really? Specific, oh yeah, specifically oh, yeah. my grandma. Cause it would always be like happy birthday and there'd be like a $10 bill, yep. you know? And I would, which was an enormous <laughs> amount of money for my, my grandparents were homesteaders. They, they lived off the land. I mean, they, they didn't really use money. Money was not a part of their life. They grew or hunted everything they consumed and their whole life was about getting through the winter. And so these recipes were really valuable. So my mom, um, when my, my mom gave it to my dad and when my dad passed, I got it. And I've had this book. And so this year, it, it actually became a really important thing for me this year because I was teaching my stepkids who are Korean. I'm teaching them my grandma's and great grandma's recipes from Homestead, Colorado, you know, and like we're cooking these apricot pies together at Thanksgiving. And I was like, this is amazing. Like there's four generations in here, you know, using the same recipes. And I'm looking at my mom's handwriting. And, and I remember making them with my grandma. Oh. And I got on the and I was able to tell these kids stories about my grandparents. Yeah. And and it was awesome. And I was like, that is a legacy list, man. Like this is so important. There's no financial value. It's a piece of paper. Yeah. You know, but like that's one of the few items like you gotta keep no matter what. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And so often I think we hang on to all the things in hopes of sort of creating memories with those things when we don't need the things, right? No, you never need the things. You just need the stories. Yeah. The stories are where the, where, what matter. And so I tell people them that, you know, no one misses stuff. We miss the people behind the stuff. And I really believe that. And the more it's funny, I knew I wrote a good book. At least I hoped I wrote a good book, but I didn't, you don't know until it's out. Right. And people start, and now I'm, I'm starting to get like tons of letters like, oh, you made me think about my grandma. And now I'm working with my grandson. And this is amazing. I'm so, and, and I realized, you know, people are getting a place to tell their stories. And that's what it's about. If you, and I'm not saying it's going to cure all to clean your house, but what it does do is it sets a basis, right? It sets a foundation for four or five really good stories about what matters to you. And where that really matters is when you're in the attic and you're going through that, like, you know, that plastic bin from high school. And you got notes from a girl that you dated 30 years ago, you know, and you're like, I mean, I'm just making this up, y'all. This didn't happen to me, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> but, you know, you're like, do I really need all this stuff? Yeah. Like, no, I don't. I don't. I actually don't. Because you've celebrated and you're on such a high from telling the good stories. Yeah. And I think that's what wears people down a lot. They're, they're, they're overwhelmed because we put it off and we put it off and we put it off. And like you're able to, to be in a, in a better positive place when you tell the stories and it, it helps you get rid of the stuff that really doesn't matter. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm sure that you've seen lots of siblings feuding over the stuff oh, yes. after the death of an adult. Are there any lessons or any things that you have brought to your own children to try to avoid that for, for the future? No, um, I can help strangers not fight as siblings. I've not mastered it yet with my own kids. You know, the, we don't really have any stuff, man. I mean, like, we really live with such little stuff that stuff has not been the issue at our house. Screen time is a challenge at our house. Um, that's what we, we fight over is who got a minute more than everyone. Everyone's got to be fair and everybody's got to have the same amount of screen time. And we don't, and as parents, we don't want any screen time. Right. You know? And, um, but I, I'll tell you, so many, I've seen so many families fight and fall apart. So I want to make sure I answer that right. Um, there's so many important rules here. One, as an adult, do not 
I, we all have favorites. Okay. We absolutely have favorite kids and you have to be careful how you, when you're dispensing your stuff to your kids. And because it's so, I've seen so many families like, Oh, Jimmy gets the grand piano <laughs> and Johnny gets a piece of rope, gets the sofa. you know, and you're like, you know, and it's like, Oh, thanks. And, and then and the, and the kid's like, see, I told you mom liked you more than me. Right. And so what I've always said is don't let the stuff equate, you know, like, first of all, I tell most families do it way ahead before you die. Like this, this whole point of like writing a will and people get to find out what you're going to get when you die. That's so stupid. Yeah. Give it out now, like give it out now and watch your kids enjoy it. Right. Yeah. And then the, the most important rule is ask if your kids want it. Because so many people think their kids want one thing and then turns out they don't want that. And then my clients think the parents, the givers think, well, nobody loves me. Nobody wants my stuff. And that's where I, I almost wrote my book. I almost titled it. Nobody wants your stuff mm. because people think nobody wants their stuff. And that's wrong. It's inaccurate. It, they don't want the stuff you want them to have. They don't want the dining room. They don't need the dining room. But for our grandparents, the dining room was a proof that you made it, proof that you existed, proof that, you know, you've been there. And so millennial grandkids, that, that's the exact opposite. They don't need, they, they just, they, you know, they didn't spend time in the dining room. They spent time at the vacation home, at the river house, at the beach, you know, in the going somewhere to do something. So they want things of their grandparents. They just don't want those things. Right. And so I really caution families don't put all your eggs into one basket, both the giver and the receiver, like tell people why you want them to have an item and then tell them why, right? And the why is what's important. And the why is what I learned from Zoe, my wife, like the why, like what life do you want? Why do you want it? Like, what's the purpose? I do the same thing on items now when giving, like tell the person, Hey, I want you to have, like I had a, a lady a couple weeks ago that, or a couple months ago that she gave a lady, she wanted her granddaughter to have this Christmas tree ornament. Her daughter was not particularly religious. Her granddaughter's not religious. Didn't really do Christmas big like like other generations have. And she was like, I, I just, I don't, I don't, Grandma, I love you, but I don't need any ornaments. And she, and I was like, well, tell her why you want her to have. She was like, oh, well, you were born on a day that it both snowed and was sunny. Aww. And that's why I love this ornament because it has sun and snow on it. It makes me think of you. Yeah. And she's like, oh, well, yeah, I totally want that ornament then. <laughs> That's awesome, yeah. Grandma. Like they, and they hugged and they cried and it was this big thing because the granddaughter didn't know why. And the grandma yeah. assumed she knew why. And you're right, asking the receiver what they want. I think about when my grandmother passed away, I wanted this little stuffed seal toy that was always on her bed. And mm -hmm. she would have never in a million years known that I wanted that. Never. There would have, She would have had no way of knowing. No. Because we don't tell our no. loved ones why we, why we, I mean, yeah, I, my grandma wanted me to take her entire dining room. <laughs> I'm like, I'm good. Like, yeah. but there was probably something smaller and more impactful to you. Rather yeah. Than can I tell the story or not? Yeah. So I go tell for stories. It. Yeah. So when I was a kid, we grew up in a neighborhood and it had a big hill at the back of the, of the neighborhood called Dead Man's Hill. I mean, like straight out of Stand By Me. Right? Dead Man's Hill. And we'd walk to it at the end of each, each day and we would ride our bikes down it or we would sled on it. The, the, the rumor was, the folklore was that some kid died sledding on it, right? but no one knew where we, we, we could point out, like, I think it's on that wall or I think it's there, you know, and it was, it we was had a dead man's hill in our neighborhood too, yeah. not to ruin yeah. their, the uniqueness of no. your story, but 
that's the point. Everybody has a dead <laughs> right. man's hill, right? Yeah. And it backed up against the train tracks, and it's where we all went. Oh, and that so sounds I was pretty unique. deadly. Oh, it was deadly, right? And um, you can, now, so this is the crazy thing. I grew up in a neighborhood, moved away when I was 20 in college, and then moved back at 30 and raised my kids in the same neighborhood. Oh, wow. So I lived in this neighborhood 30 of my 45 years at that point, or 35 of my 45 years. So anyway, long story short, my grandma was a young grandma. She was taking care of us when I was a kid, and my brother and I were under strict rules. You cannot ride down Dead Man's Hill. It is not allowed. And my mom was very authoritative, like... She said no, and we said yes, ma'am, right? And so we didn't go. So we were riding with my grandma, and my brother and I are kind of like, yeah, let's do this. And so we're riding as fast as we can towards Dead Man's, and then we slam on our brakes. My grandma didn't know we weren't allowed to go down Dead Man's. And so she's screaming going down this hill, ah! like flying down the hill. Wait, she's on she a bike gets, too? Oh, yeah. My grandma was like 50 at the time. Okay, got it. Riding. <laughs> This is 40 some years ago because she's still, she's still alive. She's 96, right? Oh, wow. And I told this story the other day in front of her and she's flying down this hill, mid forties, I don't know, mid fifties, maybe even, but she's flying down this hill on a 10 speed bike. We're on dirt bikes and we're like, you know, we hit our brakes and we're like, we can't go down the hill. We go back, we get to the house. It takes her like an hour to find us to get back to our house. And it's like hot summer day. She's sweating, you know, her makeup and her hairsprays all down. And she just looked like a, you know, like a cat in the rain. You know, she was so mad. And she, she's screaming at us. She's like, Matthew, why did you do that? And I'm just like, well, well, we're not allowed to go down to Man's Hill. <laughs> and she was furious, right? Furious. She spanked us and she had arthritis. So it like tickled, you know, and we would laugh. <laughs> we would laugh every time she spanked us. So she'd get more angry and it just tickled more. And it was a whole thing, right? And so when it got time, fast forward 40 years, it got time to empty at her house. I, I just wanted the front of that bike. I wanted the little Raleigh emblem to her bike. Aww. I didn't want, I didn't need anything. I didn't need all that junk in the dining room. And when I finally told her why, she's like, oh, oh yeah, that's all. I threw that bike away. I don't even have it. <laughs> she was, I hated that bike. And I was like, well, I loved it. Amy. And I told that story the other day in a, in a speech and like front of like 300 people in my hometown. And she was in the room and everybody's like, that's amazing. You know, and she just, but like, She's finally even realizing now, even my grandmother at 96 is realizing, like, oh, maybe I don't need all that stuff. Like, most of it, but not all of it. So you haven't been able to declutter her house yet? No. And I'm, she actually, this is, I tell you, man, mothers and grandmothers, like, my my mother is, so my mom has downsized and my grandmother's downsized at this, in this last two years. And my mother called and she's like, well, I'm going to downsize now, I've decided. She goes, I don't know who I'm going to call to help. And I'm like, well, <laughs> mom, I know somebody. She's like, no, but you do it on TV. Like, I mean, someone real, like someone that really does it. That's like, <laughs> whatever that means. I had right? about a hundred employees. Like we could call one of them, you know, because I had a huge company. That's all I did was clean out houses yeah. for 10 years. I mean, a massive, I sold it, but it was a big company. I had 200 employees at one point. That's all we did. And she just thought she'd call someone that, we, that actually did it for real. like Not, on TV. <laughs> not for show. Like, yeah, not for show. But yeah, so my, my mom and my grandma have now moved into senior living communities and um, because I moved here. And so they wanted to be somewhere safer. And so it, it actually is nice to have them in a safer place, believe it or not. Well, tell us where we can find the book. Oh, book is, I guess it sells everywhere. Yeah. Um, I encourage people to go check it out at the library if you don't want to buy it. Um, we love libraries. You don't have to buy it. None of us get rich on books, so don't feel any obligation to buy it. Um, if they don't have it at your library, um, buy it used. 
um, somewhere. And then if you just want to get it new, you can get it at Amazon or a really good local independent bookstore. Uh, but I think everybody has it. Barnes and Noble, Target, it's everywhere. But I think most people buy it online. That's the easiest way to do it. Sounds good. Where can we find you? I am available on, I am Matt Paxton is my, all my social media. I am Matt Paxton. The TV show legacy list is at mylegacylist.com. Mylegacylist.com. You can find out where, when and where it airs in your region there, but you can also watch the first three seasons uh, for free right on mylegacylist.com. Uh, but it airs on PBS. Um, pretty much just type in guy from hoarders on Google and everything I have will <laughs> pop up. Why didn't you make that it's your handle a- on Instagram? Guy, I know. I should, well, it's funny. I'm trying to get away from hoarders, you know, yeah, like, no, I, I mean, but you're, it's like, I always say it's like Jimmy Buffett. Like <laughs> nobody wants to hear his new stuff. Right. You know? They want to hear what he wrote when he was 18. Well, I'm excited to hear your new stuff. I'm yeah. enjoying the book. Thank you. I think you'll love it. The book is simple. It's really, it, it'll, it's written for two voices for the oldest adult daughter, which, who is the person that always has to deal with this. And then it's also written for mom or grandma. And it's written in a positive voice. You'll really enjoy going through your stories. I think you'll you'll enjoy it. Um, so I think, you know, you obviously have a lot of minimalists that listen to you. I think for family members that um, have no clue why you live the way you live, this is a good midway to help them understand, like, there really is more with less. Good. Well, thank you so much. It was great chatting with you. Man, thanks for having me. I really appreciate you having it. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Matt. If you want the links to get in touch with him or to find his book, Keep the Memories, Lose the Stuff, go to simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 300. When you have a moment, leave a rating or review in iTunes. That helps this show to reach more people. I appreciate your support. Have a good one.